Uh, we're starting a new sermon series in Song of Solomon. Now, as we begin to intro and think about Song of Solomon, what we're doing, this is a book that is full of dating and sex and romance and marriage. And so as we talk about this, uh, and we think through it, I think it's an important time for this sermon series. One, because many people think that the Bible is outdated when it comes to things that matter today, especially things like relationships and marriage and sexuality. That's just an old book and an old way that made sense back then. But we're much more enlightened today. We have a better way. Some people say, well, you know what? As long as I love the other person, like what does it matter that I wait till I'm married to have sex and have a marriage certificate? It's just a sheet of paper. Like what does it matter? What really matters is if I love that person. Then love gives me the okay to do whatever I want. Others might say, well, you know what? What's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with You've heard the song? Now, let me just say this. I promised myself, this is a great point for me to say this. I promised myself, and I've asked the Lord for his help for me to not say anything that comes to my mind during the sermon series. I want, I've taken extra notes and every illustration or thing that I've saying, I've passed through my wife to make sure that it is okay. But as we walk through this, you need to understand that we live in a world that is trying to self-define sex, sexuality, gender, relationships and what they're like. And so how do we think about this? Some of you might say, well, my marriage is perfect. Well, I mean, why do I need this? Well, if you're in discipleship, there are going to be people. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, these are things that we need to understand and know that we can pass it on. Secondly, I think there's a group of you who've never heard ever a sermon series in the Song of Solomon. And the reason why is because in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, the church has made sex a taboo subject. It's not something we really like talk about. It's just kind of, it's just kind of out there. We know that it goes on, but we don't really talk about it. And can I tell you, as a result, I mean, we have missed the boat in this category and in this area. And we can tell by what's happening in the light of our, our culture. In August of 1975, a typhoon came through China and it ran into a cold front. As it hit that cold front, this typhoon Nina, it, it stood over China for two days at a complete standstill, dumping rain at a record pace. Matter of fact, they say it's a once in a 2000 year type of flood hit China. So it rained so much that in one 24 hour period, that, that region received its yearly amount of rainfall in one day. Well, with that much rain, uh, it began to just go everywhere. Things were flooding, dams were breaking, and as a result, there was one large dam. It's known as Backyard Dam. And it started getting so much water, it got taller and taller and taller, and it got to the top when they realized we need to do something. So they dispatched 35,000 troops to go and put up sandbags and to try to support the dam so the dam wouldn't bust. The problem is it just kept raining and it kept raining. At about 12 o'clock at night, about 12 o'clock midnight, it's pitch black dark, it's been raining. All of a sudden, the rain stops. 35,000 troops begin to cheer and to shout as over 200,000 people slept in the valley below. They're like, finally, we have a break. Finally, it stopped raining. Well, what they didn't understand is that one hour later, water would continue to pour from all the other rain and it would overflow that dam and the dam would bust. 
the dam would break and it would send a 20 foot high wave that was six feet, six miles wide. It would dump 185 billion gallons of water on the valley below it. If you wanna understand kind of what that looks like, that's 240,000 Olympic sized swimming pools that would rush that valley. Over 200,000 people would be swept away. They believe that as many as 230,000 people died in one of the largest natural disasters known to man. It was not man-made disaster and there was nothing wrong with the dam. It was structurally sound. It was just so much rain that it broke the dam and would lead to death and, and peril. Boundaries are not a bad thing. You see, the boundary of that dam was life-giving to everyone in the valley below. But often when we talk about why there are certain boundaries and, and what they're there for, we don't explain why the boundary is put in place. We just say it's there. And if I'm honest, as a pastor, there are times where I feel like as a culture, as a people, we are in the valley. And the lies of, about sex and relationships and marriage and sexuality and sexual identity just keep raining. And here we are in the valley and it, it's just ready to bust and, and wash away so many of our families and so many of our people. The atmosphere is broken when it comes to sex and sexuality. We know this because statistics are showing us that even though America is increasing in its population, fewer people are getting married today because what's the point? Why do it? I mean, over 50% of marriages end in divorce, so why do that? Let's just not do it. We have a high divorce rate. Do you know the average age to which a child now will be introduced to pornography is 11 years old? 11. That number is not going higher. It will only continue to go lower. And we say, well, look, I get all of that, but that's stuff that's going on out there. Oh, really? 70% of evangelical singles admit to being involved in sexual activity before they're married, and they do not see a problem with it. In the state of Georgia alone, 100 girls are sex trafficked every day. Do you know why 100 girls are sex trafficked every day? Because someone is purchasing that sexual activity. If there was no market for it, it would not happen. But it is happening in large part because I believe we are no longer preaching and teaching and talking about the truth when it comes to sex and sexuality and sexual immorality. It's kind of like, eh, you know what? We know it goes on out there, but let's just not engage in that. Let's just sweep it under the rug. That makes me feel awkward. I mean, he's gonna say some words in Song of Solomon that make me feel uncomfortable. Well, can I tell you, the more that that makes us uncomfortable, it probably means the more we need to discuss it. The more that we need to talk about. Sex is beautiful by God's design, but it's broken in our design. So as a result, Song of Solomon is about the goodness of sexual desire between a man and a woman within marriage, between one man and one woman. Now the world gets bothered by sermon series like this because well, it's made sex the ultimate thing. Everything is about obtaining or getting that. So to say that it is, it is good, but it's not the ultimate, is kind of a slap in the face of the way that our world identifies and understands sex and sexuality. Then within the church, we've gotten it wrong because in a lot of ways we've made it bad or taboo. We're so scared that our kids are gonna have sex or mess up sexually that we just make it as bad as we can. And if we make it bad, then they won't do it. 
But then they begin to engage in some, uh, some of those areas and they find out, well, this is actually good and now we lose them because we haven't spoken openly and plainly and truthfully about what God has to say about it and how God created it and God has given it. Now hear me, Song of Solomon is unbelievably sensual and we're gonna get into it. Now I said it before and I'll say it again. We're not dropping anything for shock factor, but we do wanna cover the truth. Matter of fact, it is so sensual that some theologians as they've read through it have said, look, it's so sensual that this has to be about the love that Jesus has toward his church. And Solomon represents Jesus and the bride represents the church because I mean, it's just so sensual that there's a whole book of the Bible about intimacy and sex. Like it's gotta be that. That's gotta be what they're talking about. And on one hand, I think that they probably have gotten some of that right. Let me just give you an example maybe of what I'm talking about. Look at uh, Song of Solomon chapter one, verse one. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The Song of Songs, this Solomon saying, this is my, my best work, my most wonderful work, the song of all songs. Uh, this is the best of everything I've got out of Proverbs, Psalms, all the wisdom that I passed out. This is the best. Now, how can this be the best when it's something fleshly about sensuality and romance and intimacy and sex? It never mentions their relationship with God, their Bible studies together or their spiritual disciplines. So how can his best be this way? And, and part in, in, is that romance and sex are great gifts that God has given us. I mean, think about it. What makes you as joyful as experiencing real love? And what breaks your heart more than unfulfilled love? And this is a book written about those things. But it is also true and that this is a book to point us to that there's a love greater than the love between a man and a woman. Uh, I, when I get nervous about certain sermon series, which this one kind of makes me a little nervous, I, I tend to, to find myself leaning back on C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a, a poet, so I, I thought he would have some good insight on this in and, and his writings. This is what he said, and I love when he talks about sex and intimacy. He says that romance and sex are like the rays of the sunshine. When you feel the warmth of the sun on your face, you can't help but to look and say, where did this come from? Uh, who gave this to me. This great love should point us back to the great love that God has toward us. He says that love and sex are like an amazing fragrance from a flower that's not found on earth. You can smell it and you can enjoy that aspect, but you have to ask yourself, who gave this to us? Where did it come from? So there's no question that Song of Solomon points us back to the great love that God has toward us. But it is predominantly pointing to a, it is a reference point for you and I to understand what God intended there to be between a man and a woman. Some of you, as you think about this, love, it has disappointed some of you because you've received love from someone else that you are intended to have from God. So I hope that through this sermon series, for some of you, it reorients you to understand all of these things are good, but God is ultimate. And what you might be seeking from someone else, you first must get from God. That is the only way we can enjoy gifts from God is to first know and enjoy the giver of them himself. Others, maybe you're here and you're not in a relationship at all. You're like, look, I'm single, I'm divorced. Uh, I, this sermon series is not really, I think, for me. I hope, and, and I, what I think you're gonna find is that the truth of Song of Solomon is profitable for all of our people, no matter where you're at in this life. This is first written about uh, Solomon and his, his first wife. Now, let me say this because you can't help but to bring this up. It's his first 
wife. Uh, how, do, how does this happen? Let me ask you, is there a truth that you have known in your mind, but you've not followed? You cannot help but to read Song of Solomon with the entire story in mind to know that he's gonna write and God is gonna author through the power of the Holy Spirit unbelievable truths to help our marriages and to help our families, but to know that, Song, that Solomon himself would not follow his own truth. That there would be a time that his own sexual promiscuity would lead him and it would ultimately hurt the kingdom of God and his ability to lead as a king altogether. So much more should we read, know, and understand what we're gonna cover and the perils of just disobeying. The dam can break. We can be swept away from the perils of trying to do things our own way and not following God's design for this. It's his greatest work. And he says, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna write like seven or eight snapshots into my relationship. I'm gonna write seven or eight snapshots that we're gonna see. Some people read it like linear, meaning at the first it's like when they meet and then they're like dating or courting, then they get married and then there's like the marriage relationship and then you know comes the fighting or whatever. Some people think it's like that. But it's not, it's actually a snapshot. When I said the fighting, people are like, yeah, that does come. <laughs> and so it, it, it's a snapshot. So you see some of those in all of them, uh, but it does cover certain categories and we're gonna hit all of them. Let me give you the quick five themes that we're gonna hit as we dive into it. The first one, you're gonna see beauty and attraction. What is beautiful? And, and how do we handle being attracted to somebody? Like what is attractive and how do we handle attraction? We're about to hit that today. Uh, the truth of attraction and how we uh, are attracted in a godly way. Secondly, you're gonna see this dating process. How do we date? How do we think about dating? And is, should we, what, how do we even, what does God have to say about dating? You get to see some of it in the Song of Solomon. We're gonna talk about sex. Not just married people, you should do it, and non-married people, you shouldn't. I think a lot of people who aren't married are wanting to know, why does God have that boundary set up for me? Like, why are you saying that? Like, why is, is God trying to hold something back from me? And so I'm gonna show you not only why we should, but why we should not. Fourthly, we're gonna look at lifelong love. How do we not only have love, but how do we keep it? Like, how do you maintain it? Like, what do we do when we run into like stumbling blocks within our relationships and we feel like, mm, I think the love might be waning. Like something might not be clicking like it needs to be. How do we keep that going? And then lastly is conflict and fighting. He gives you insight into uh, some fights that they have and how we can fight well. Uh, some of you like to fight. Others like to flight. So when it gets to fight time, you run. Others, you like run to it. Some of you, you're like, well, I'm a mixture. I hit and run, boy. I like drop it and go. And, and, and so we're gonna talk through, how do we walk through some of this stuff? Now, let me say this as we, get to, we, we dive into the chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. I wanna make sure something is very crystal clear. One of the reasons I believe we ought to walk through the sermon series is because as a young man, I need this. I'm not preaching this to you as somebody who is standing in perfection, telling you how you ought to be doing it because I am. I'm reading this as a sinner who needs the truth of the word of God in every aspect of my life and in my marriage and as a man as well. So don't hear this as somebody who has all the answers. As a matter of fact, what I wanna do is every week I'm gonna give some homework and what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna open up some forums to hear back from you because I know there's some unbelievable wisdom in our congregation that would be helpful for younger couples, for singles, for those that are looking for marriage or those who have been broken by marriage and, and your words and your wisdom of what you've experienced could be passed along. So 
Here we go, chapter one, Song of Solomon. He says, this is my greatest work. So let's go to, to chapter two as we think about the truth of, of attraction, looking at what God has to say, doing attraction God's way. Verse two, oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your caresses are more delightful than wine. Let me just stop here and say, we got a lot of Baptists getting ready to run for the door. It's got, we've got sex and alcohol in the first verse. So if you wanna know how the rest of it's gonna go, it's right there. All right, this is all, I mean, this is just like an introduction to what you're about to get. And so she's saying, hey, I want you to kiss me because I'm attracted to you. So she's gonna begin to open up about some of the things that she is attracted in and, and what's attractive. She says this, and it does this. It says the woman, so this is her perspective and then he begins to talk. And so we see this conversation back and forth. And then we even have like a little like girl talk where there's like groups of girls saying, yeah, we agree. So here we go. She's saying, oh man, for your caresses are more delightful than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. You know, I'm not like a little bit, I'm intoxicated. Your name is perfume poured out. No wonder young women adore you. Take me with you. Let's hurry, oh, that the king would bring me to his chambers. Then the women, we will rejoice and be glad in you. We will celebrate your caresses more than wine. It is only right that they adore you. She starts by saying, I'm, I'm attracted to you. And for good reason, listen to some of the things she says about him. You look good, you smell good, you kiss good, and you've got good character. Those are like four things you ought to be looking for. Four things that are kind of important in there. They need to smell good, look good, you're attracted to that, and, and they have good character. And so she's saying, look, even the ladies say like good things about you. And, and they should, because they're attracted to who you are as a person. And so what we're gonna see now though is her conversation about how she views herself. She's so attracted to who he is, but look how she views herself. Daughters of Jerusalem, I'm dark like the tents of Kedar, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, for the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me take, all, take care of the vineyards and I'm not taking care of my own vineyard. Her skin was dark. She was a part of a, a nomadic community that moved and they didn't have homes. They used tents as they would do work and travel and, and do the things that they needed to do. And she says, look, my, my skin is dark. She was embarrassed about it. Her skin was dark because she was working outside and the sun had tanned her. And so she was a working girl. Now it's interesting over time how beauty standards change. You know, like if you look back in the day, you see these pictures of people they thought were like really like beautiful and, and really attractive. They're all like really fair skinned and like a little plump. I'm like, man, I lived in the wrong age. You stay inside and eat chocolate. Like that's it, right? And, 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 but now what does our culture say? Hey, look, just tan it. You know, tan looks, makes everything. Look, just tan the skin or whatever. And so, but the beauty standard here is that she's saying, I don't feel attractive because I, I'm, I have a tan skin, the sun has tanned me, and as a result, I'm a working girl. I'm, I don't feel as, as attractive or, or special. I don't feel beautiful is what she's saying. But it's not only about her looks. It's not only I don't feel attractive because of my physical beauty. Notice that she says that her mother's sons were angry at her and they made her work the vineyard. Now there's a great chance that because of this, her father had died and either her mother is remarried and had sons with someone else or that her father was not present to do the workload. And so the sons were in charge and, and they didn't like it. So they made her do the work. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Is that a storyline that sounds familiar at all? It, it is, look, Disney didn't get it from themselves. This is Cinderella. 
This is a young lady who is, has a broken family, who is poor and is a hard worker and is being forced to do all the work. And as a result, she, she feels physically unattractive and she feels like her status in society has made her unattractive to him. And so she's telling him this. So this is a working girl from a poor family. This is the king. And so he's telling this story to you and I, and she's talking about how she feels attractive. Now notice in verse seven, she calls him a shepherd. Verse seven, tell me you whom I love, where do you pasture your sheep? Where do you let them rest at noon? Why should I be the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? She's saying, hey, I, I wanna know, Mr. Shepherd, where are you going with your sheep? Because maybe I can bring my sheep that direction and we can put ourselves in the same area. This is what you do when you're attracted to somebody, right? You wanna get around them. You wanna get in the same environment. You wanna hang out. So she's like, hey, Mr. Shepherd. Now, is he a shepherd? He's a king. So why is he as a king out in the fields as a shepherd? Because... It is like any guy who's attracted to a girl, you're gonna find a way to get around her. She's out working in the field. I think I ought to go tend the sheep today. I'm gonna dress up as a shepherd and come out with the goats and walk by that beautiful girl that I would like to get to know. And then she's like, hey, where are the sheep's at? Maybe I can bring my sheep's. When Stacy and I first, uh, I started trying to get to know Stacy a little bit, she was an after-school teacher. Uh, and so she, at about 3, 3.15, she would show up on, on our, our church campus. Uh, we had after, uh, an after-child type of care from our school. And so she was taking care of kids. And it's amazing how every day at 3.15, the Lord just laid on my heart that I needed to go love those kids. I just needed to go outside and check the facilities and the campus to, you know, I really cared about the, the wood planks on the playground to make sure everything was right. It was amazing how often I needed to stop by that classroom because I needed a little snack while the kids were eating. Why? Because I wanted to put myself in her environment. I was creating ways to get to know her and to, to see her and to be around her. And Solomon, as a king, he is attracted to her and he is doing this same thing. Now I want you to see his response. Typical guy. Look what he says. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats near the shepherd's tents. Here's how you can find me. I'm gonna play a little hard to get. Just follow the steps and we'll see if you show up. But he notice what he does right from the jump street. You're not just any normal person. You're the most beautiful of women. And if you want me, follow these steps to my tent. But listen what he says. I compare you, my darling, to a mare. I compare you to a horse. Now, I don't know what their pickup lines were back then, but I can tell you, that's not working today. So dude, if you're here today thinking, I'm about to learn how to get this girl, and you're like, oh, babe, I think you're so beautiful. You're like a horse. It's not gonna work. It is not going to work. What he was telling her, though, is you look like the Pharaoh's horses. What the Pharaoh would do is he would have a row of, of black, beautiful stallions that would pull his chariot. And in the midst of all those black stallions, he would put one white horse in the midst of them. And it made that white horse stand out. It made that white horse, the white horse was to represent the Pharaoh's purity and his strength and that there was no one else like him. And he is saying, hey, this is who you are to me. You are beautiful amongst all women. You are like that stallion that you stand out to me. You are, you're not just anybody. So what he is doing now, and I love this, is he is recreating how she views herself. He's using his words and his communication. Men, listen, gosh, this is so convicting. He uses his words to recreate her. 
He doesn't leave it in his head or leave it in his heart. He shares what he feels about her and what he sees in her. And this gets to point number one. Are you ready? Spiritual beauty is more important than physical beauty. Spiritual beauty is more important than physical beauty. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that physical beauty doesn't matter. I mean, who are we kidding? The first thing I saw when I saw Stacy was, man, she is, yeah, I need to talk with her a little bit more. I need to get around those kids. I wanted to get to know her because I saw her, yet at the same time, there's more to it than that. As a matter of fact, just flip over really quick to chapter two and look once again how she talks about herself. In verse one, she says, I'm a wildflower of Sharon, a lily of the valley. She just sees herself as just this common person who's just like everyone else. I know the song about the lily of the valley and God, the person who wrote it, missed that. Because the lily of the valley was a common flower amongst all the other flowers. So what she was saying is when you look out in a valley of all the flowers, I'm just another one of them. I'm just another person. And so now he begins to speak to recreate her and to remind her and to show her what he sees about who she is. See, spiritual beauty is more important than physical beauty. There are things that will make a woman more beautiful. And this is what he begins to speak to and what he sees. Now, this is difficult because we live in a culture that is so obsessed with the physical we are so obsessed with physical beauty. Everything is about how good do you look. When I was in college, I'm sure a lot of you don't remember this, there's a website that it, you could log in, load your picture in, and people, random strangers would, would create, would, would, are you hot or not? That was like the website, like, are you hot or not? And you could just, random people would be like, are, is this person hot? You know, if you got like 85 or above, you're like, you're hot. And everything was about finding out, am I hot? Am I attractive in people's eyes? And so this is our, this is our, our culture. Everything is geared toward physical beauty. You wanna buy a potato chip? Put it on with like some person that the world would say is attractive or, or beautiful and that'll make them want our potato chip. Hey, you want a Hardy's hamburger? Let's find a supermodel, like eat this. You'll look like that. It's a lie, but that's what the world does. The world, because everything, what sells? Sex sells. It's everywhere in our culture. You cannot watch TV without the remote in your hand because the commercial might come up and your kids are seeing things that are difficult and they're hard. Proverbs 31.30 says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. A woman who fears the Lord. This is an, an inward beauty. First Peter 3.3 says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. Don't let your beauty be based on an outward thing. For you to be beautiful, you don't have to drum yourself up from the outside in. There's an inner beauty that is far more important. So your real beauty should not be mustered up from these outward things. And this is what he saw in her. It was, though he thought she was beautiful and attractive, he also saw this inner beauty that was better. You see, over time, whether we like it or not, our physical beauty changes. It is different. So when we begin to think about who we are married to, we ought to ask ourselves, is there an inward beauty that we want in our life for the rest of our life? Physical beauty, it changes, it, it fades, its impact might fade. Over time, you grow familiar with who you're looking at. And so what he is saying in this passage is, hey, I wanna see who you are and I want a deeper beauty that I can fall more in love with. Let me give you an example in this. 
When I first saw Stacy, though I saw that I was physically attracted to who she is, I saw that she loved her family. I saw that she loved kids. I saw her integrity. I saw her faithfulness in church. I saw her worship was genuine. And those things are attracted, and I wanted those things in my life. I want to find this. One time when we were hanging out, uh, I don't know, I think I've told her this. Uh, one time we were hanging out, I was like, all right, I'm a list person. Any other list people out there? Any list? Yeah, I'm a list guy. So I'm getting to know her. Men, we don't know our feelings. I had no clue, like, what am I feeling? Why, why do I want to all of a sudden go to our childcare and play with the kids? But I didn't know what was happening. And so I started getting around groups and hanging out and getting to know her and getting to see her. And, and one day I said, okay, I'm going to make a list. And I wrote down all the things that I liked about Stacy, all the things that I saw in her. And here's what I noticed. It was amazing how many of those things were from the inside. They had to do with who she is. And here's the deal. As we begin to think about who and how we are beautiful, here's been my prayer. Obviously, I want my wife to be attracted to me. I mean, duh, that's important. But outside of that, I hope that there's an inner beauty that she is more attracted to that even over time, it, it, it becomes better. Let me give you an example of this. There's something that she said that hit me. She said, I have been tending to another vineyard and I haven't been able to take care of my vineyard. I haven't been able to take care of me. You know, it's amazing how things change over time. When you are young and you're going to school, you really, you think you're busy like crazy, but you're really not. And so you have a few things to take care of. I mean, girls, you know how long some of you take to get ready right now. It, oh, parents, you know how long it takes your children to get ready right now. Your boys, it takes them like seven seconds because they still don't take baths. You're like, Bro, you gotta take a bath. Did you not hear the smell good part? That's what some of you heard. Smell good. Take a bath. Axe body spray doesn't cover it all up. You're welcome, Jeff and Malia. But for your girls, oh man, we gotta take a long time. I, we gotta prep, we gotta get ready. But you know what happens? What happens when you become a parent? Do you have two hours and 48 minutes to get ready? No, you're looking for socks and a spoon to get oatmeal. You're trying to get them out the door and in your minivan that you said you would never have in your life that you love now. It is your best friend. It is your companion in life because your life has changed. You have another vineyard that, you, that you're taking care of. So you know what can happen if you're not careful over time? You can begin to think that your value and who you are is your physical beauty. My hair is not as pretty as it used to be because I had two hours and 48 minutes to take care of it. My face, my outfit, my clothes is not as that. But can I tell you, here's what I'm finding. The longer that Stacy and I are married, the times where I come home and I see that she is so stressed out from two little unbelievable children that God has gifted us. She spends majority of her time loving them and pouring into them and taking care of them and pouring into that moon. You know what I'm finding? It is more beautiful now than ever when I see her lack of sleep and puffy eyes sometimes and hair that looks like, you know, it's going a little crazy because kids have been pulling on it all day. And that is beautiful because it's an inward beauty that comes out of a mom that loves her children. There's a beauty, beauty that is, it, it comes from the inside out. And this is what he sees because it's of who she is. He says, look, I, I see that you're working, that you're laboring, even though you've got a broken family, you are doing what is right. And it's because of who she is. So the question that you have to ask yourself is if I go through tough times, do I want her inner beauty by my side with me? 
as I grow old and adopt to a dad bod, is she gonna see the beauty of who I am as a man who loves his family and loves his kids? See, godly attraction makes you prioritize spiritual beauty over physical beauty. Doesn't mean you're not physically attracted. It's just not as important as some of the spiritual attributes that are there. So what does that look like? Because some of you are like, okay, what does that mean like in real life? What does this look like? I think there's one word that really develops what this looks like, and it's character character. See, character, it comes from a word that is out of, they used it out of a metal engraver or a stamping tool. It literally meant to stamp into metal and it was engraved into that metal. What you are looking for is someone who has an inner graving, an inner character that's not going to adapt. It's who they are on the inside that you love and you grow in love with. Something that's ingrained into you. So I've learned, he's saying, I have learned to look at her and to see her spiritual beauty and and what's ingrained into her. Like what are that, how does somebody treat a waiter or a waitress? That'll tell you a lot about who they are as a person. Do they say thank you and yes, ma'am, and yes, sir? Do they hold the door for not just you as a lady, but other people that are coming through? It's something I tell my little four-year-old right now. Every time I carry him to school, come on, Luke, let's hold the door. And the first thing he does, we look back. Is there anybody else walking through that door? And if there is, Luke will stand there and he's gonna hold that door for them. Why? Because I want some mom to not pull out a shotgun when my son comes over. I want her to be thankful to God that Luke Green is the guy who showed up at her house because he is, has character and integrity. Look, you don't have to date like a genius, but do they care about their grades? Do they care about their responsibilities and doing, because you know what, uh, you know what's important to me? Every single day, Stacy is taking care of the two most important gifts God has ever given me outside of my wife and outside of Jesus, named Sadie and Luke. She better be responsible and loving kids and taking care of them and pouring to them. And honestly, the truth is, God help her, she's married to me. She needs like an extra dose. And so in that, these are characters that you're looking for inwardly that go, man, like this is important. Is that person abusive? If they're abusive now in your dating relationship, the chances are it's probably not gonna change and you don't need to think you're the hero that can change them. And so if you're seeing some of those red flags that are abusive or or rough or tough now, then you ought to back off. Second Corinthians chapter six says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has a righteous with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Yoked was this wooden thing that would put two oxen together. And the reason why is because two oxen together could pull together at the same strength as four oxen. It's what we know is exponential strength. When they were yoked together, they could pull better together. And he's saying, don't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever because you're pulling in different directions. Not only will you lose the exponential strength of a running partner that's helping you run to Jesus and you'll be stronger as a result of that, you'll grow in that area, but a non-believer is gonna be walking in a completely different direction than you. So when you enter into a relationship with that non-believer, you're losing that. So anyone here, hear me, this is not coming from just some legalistic preacher that doesn't want you to have love. I want you to have love and so does God. He wants it to be amazing. But the thought that missionary dating is good, it is a lie and it'll be perilous. It needs to go somewhere. So if you're out there thinking, you know what? I'm gonna do some like flirty fishing. That'll get them. No, it won't. You are not enough. They need, we need, people need Jesus, not you. If you're thinking I'm gonna flirt to convert, you need to understand it's dangerous. And students, don't think for a moment that you won't start justifying 
Because you get around that person and you're like, oh my, I tell you what, I like his tea. They smell good. I mean, like this guy over here is awesome. He's fun. Oh man, this person looks good. I'm attracted to this person. And you start throwing things out of your mind. We need to say, you know what, God, there's an inner beauty that is, is more important than a physical beauty. And I want the Holy Spirit of God to help me to prioritize that over. Solomon could have had anyone that he wanted, but he chose a girl with character. He could have picked any any person in the kingdom. He could have gone after any belly dancer out there, any person out there, anything, any person. He was the king, he got him. Yet he chose a girl of character and integrity. We should value and love an inner beauty over a physical beauty. Number two, only date somebody who will draw out your spiritual beauty. Only date somebody that will help draw out your spiritual beauty. Look back at the passage with me in chapter one and go down to verse 12. He says, while the king is on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. The one I love is a sachet of myrrh to me, spending the night between my breasts. The one I love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyard of Engedi. Back then, they didn't have like the things that we have, modern day showers and deodorant that are good. So what they would do is they would wrap like a necklace and they would have this satchel that would hold uh, like flower blossoms that smelled good and they would hold it close to their chest so that when they woke up in the morning, that fragrance would be, would be, would be present. That fragrance would be smelling good so that when she wakes up and, and Solomon is, is anywhere near, he would smell that smell good and not morning breath. And so what, he, what she is saying, what she's communicating is Solomon, that's who you are to me. You make me smell better. You bring out a fragrance aroma from my life. You have spoke truth to me and you've recreated who I am in my mind. You've loved me, you've cared for me, you've adored me and his adoration impacts her. So he says, you stay close to my heart, making me better because of who I am in Christ. And so their relationship is, is strong and stable, she says, and that comes out of you loving me and caring for me. You want a stronger sex life, that flows out of spiritual and emotional health. This is why Satan attacks this in a family. He will attack your physical, spiritual, and emotional health because it will affect your family and your marriage. You see, sex is not just a physical act, it is a whole person experience. She says, Solomon, you adore me and you love me. You have cared for my heart. You have poured into my inward beauty and that makes me even more attracted to you and it makes me want you more. This is real sex, not what the world tries to portray it as, not as pornography tries to portray it as. That is a show. Real sex says, I love you in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, and I'm gonna take who you are as a person and try to make you better. I'm gonna try to make you smell better as a fragrant offering unto the Lord. I wanna draw out your spiritual beauty. I've heard it said that a lot of times a girl will marry a man that she loves. But it's equally important for a girl to marry a man that loves her. A man that loves a woman and a woman that loves a man is to say, I will work on who I am to draw out who you are for the glory of God. I wanna help make you better. He does this by reminding her who's yours. Matter of fact, go to chapter two. She says, I'm a wildflower, I'm common. Here's what he says in verse three. Like in, or what he says, verse two, like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among young women. No, you're not just anyone. You're a lily amongst the thorns. You stand out to me. You are my one. I love you and I care for you. Only date someone that is gonna draw you out spiritually. Men, our words are important. 
we have to share and communicate our feelings about who we're married to to draw that out. Number three, in this process though, we need to keep sexual distance so that you can be wise. You need to keep sexual distance so that you can be wise. Look, look how this goes. She says in response to this, like an apricot tree among the trees of the forest, so is my love among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banquet hall. He shows her off to everyone and he looked on me with love. He showed everybody that he loves me. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apricots or I'm lovesick. May his left hand be under my head and his right arm embrace me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the fields. Those animals frolicked around and ran around crazy. And he says that those were images of, of a young couple in a sexual relationship. And he says, I, I'm encouraging you, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. The reason God wants you to re refrain from having sex until you're married is because you can be lovesick. You can, that fragrant offering, that love, that physical touch, it can make you miss character deficiencies that are there. It can make you not see what is there. So Solomon adores her. She then says, oh, as a response to this, I want you more. But hey, young ladies, we don't need to waken up anything yet because we're not married. We need to be careful. We need to be wise. I need to keep sexual distance so that I don't miss anything that God would have for me. When you're crossing boundaries, it can make you miss character deficiencies that are there. Not that God can't overcome that, not that Jesus is not stronger, not that the gospel is not greater than those. Here's the deal, if you're here today and you're one of those 70 to 75% of singles that are engaging in sexual relationships, right now is a, a fresh start. It's the time for you to say, you know what, God, I believe you have what's best for me. I believe you desire what is good for me, so I'm gonna abstain. So let me quickly, and I know our time, but just hang with me. I had a lot of, to cover, but we've got five more sermons of this. Let me give you, I'm just gonna boom, boom, boom. I wanna give you five things I think this means for you. Parents, I think this is important to write down. Number one, find someone that you are attracted to their inner beauty as you follow Jesus. As you're following Jesus, find someone that you are attracted to their inner beauty. Find someone who has an inner beauty that you adore. It is the key to lifelong love and great sex. When you love who they are inwardly and you pour into their heart and their soul, it leads to those. Number two, don't date until you're able to see spiritual character that you are not willing to compromise on. Until you've been around that person, don't date until you're able to see those character things. There is something worse than being single. It's being married to the wrong person. It's being married to someone that is not following Jesus. It's being married to someone that is bringing punishment and not trying to grow you in Christ. Ultimately, we need to find what we need in Jesus, but then just leave the rest up to him. Remember, Adam in the garden fell asleep in the will of God and woke up and Eve was there. Be in the will of God and trust that God will bring you what is best for you. Number three, you are ready to date when you're devoted to becoming the best person for someone else to date. If you wanna date, the best way to do that is ask God to grow who you are as a person so that when you meet that person, he is transforming who you are in Christ. Don't look for the right person, become the right person. Ask God, Lord, grow me, mature me. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll direct your path. So same as in marriage, work on being the best 
partner you can be for your spouse and trust through that process of God growing you that he will also mature and grow who you're married to. Number four, you need time to see inner beauty. You need time to see inner beauty. Solomon was going out as a shepherd to learn who she was. Stacy and I, before we even started dating, we hung out with other people for like four months. It felt like forever. But it allowed me to see who is she? Who, who is she? I, I, I snuck on a little family vacation at, during one of the summers. I got to see who she was. I would show up at her house with her aunt to how, who is this person and what is she like on a deeper level? Then we dated in a period of time after I knew already a lot of who she was. So you need time to see inner beauty. Solomon was going out as a shepherd to learn who she was. Look, I get some of you, you're like unbelievable people. You meet somebody and you're, you're like ready to get married like two weeks later. Like you are, you're special, probably sprinkled with a little crazy, but you're still like God's working it out. But for others, it's just a wisdom principle to take time to see their inner beauty. Who are they on the inside? And learn that, number five, you need distance in the dating process to see their inner beauty. And when I say that, I mean you need distance, meaning you need to be assessing their inner beauty and character, not holding their hands and not kissing them. It's really hard when you're kissing somebody to stop to notice who are they on the inside. So the best way to see this is when you're not dating or kissing. Hang out in groups, be friends, take your time before you jump in the intimacy side of a relationship so that you can learn who that person is and who their inner beauty is. Now, let me say this, there's no perfect person. You're never gonna find the perfect person, and this is why. Because as great as love is, as great as marriage is, as great as sex is, as great as intimacy is, all of those things pale in comparison to the goodness and the glory of God. What we need more than anything is Jesus Christ. And when we have Jesus, he will help us every step along the way. We pray with me, Lord, I'm thankful for your word. And God, I'm thankful for your grace. Lord, I know in a room like this and those that are watching online that there are maybe many that would say, I've messed up, I've made mistakes, I've crossed boundaries, the dam is broke, my marriage is in trouble. God, thank you for your grace. Would you help us in this? Lord, grow us and pull us to you. And would this be a, a sermon series where marriages are restored? where relationships are grown, where men and women learn and grow as men and women and, and, and students and college students can learn. Help us, Jesus, to understand what you desire for us in a relationship that ultimately we can grow as Christ followers. We love you. We need your help. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanna ask you to stand with us. We're gonna sing. We have a time where we can respond to the gospel. You know what, some of you are here, maybe it's a great time for you to grab your spouse and say, you know what, let's just pray. Let's just go pray, not because there's a problem, but because we, this is a great sermon series for God to grow us. Maybe there's some others you wanna pray. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, this is the church I wanna join. I wanna partner with you guys to advance the gospel. Or maybe you're here and the reality is the Lord has shown you what you need more than anything else is a personal relationship with Jesus. Our altar is gonna be open. We'd love for you to come and pray. We're gonna sing together. You guys come.